I mean, in the beginning of the whole pandemic, it, it was really very clear that there was a divide happening among CPOs. There was absolutely a group of people who said, now, great, it's back to the good old days. We're going to save money and we're going to be squeezing suppliers. And there was another group who said, that's not how it's going to work. You will need to collaborate in, in different ways. This is episode number 142 with Thomas Udesen. Joining me on this episode of Transform Talks is Thomas Udesen, co-founder and ambassador of the Sustainable Procurement Pledge and Chief Procurement Officer at Bayer, where we discuss the impact of sustainability on procurement and supply chain today. Thomas makes the point that sustainability concerns begin with acknowledging past faults. People in power also need to embrace vulnerability and curiosity and accept that the road ahead may not be as abundant as in the last few decades. The Sustainable Procurement Pledge was founded to address sustainability by a group of industry peers as people instead of as representatives of any individual company. Thomas says that the pledge is about incentivizing companies to take action towards sustainability. Of course, profits and associated costs of the supply chain are at the forefront, but Thomas points out that it's a process of unlearning with the openness to relearn. Now, both of us are Gen Xers, and Thomas and I challenge our generation and highlight that our age group has a unique opportunity to shift this mindset and impact real change. Thomas delves into some of the most significant hurdles toward rethinking sustainability. So listen to this episode now to learn more. Hi, Thomas. Thanks so much for joining us on Transform Talks. Thank you, Maria. Thanks for inviting me. So procurement, sourcing, I mean, it is a tough time out there for for the industry you know how are you feeling i think it's tough but it's also you know exciting i think it's a, a great moment to to show the world that uh, we've been practicing for years as uh, procurement practitioners and uh, we uh, have uh, many things under control certain things we are pretty good at um, and of course uh, that's what we should showcase that uh, actually uh, the global supply chains you know, function because of uh, a great group of people out there who is uh, passionate uh, about making sure that uh, goods and services make it to the consumers uh, as and when they're needed. You know, I think, I don't know about you, but about a couple of years ago when I used to tell people what I did, nobody knew or nobody was interested. So do you think that supply chain procurement, sourcing all these things being brought to the mainstream, is that a good thing or a bad thing? No, I think it's a, it's a great thing because uh, I literally spoke to a, a professor in a university in Germany yesterday who has been focusing on supply chain procurement now for the last decade or so. And he said the, uh, the research really shows that um, out of the student population, when asked, you know, what do you want to do? You want to be finance? You want to be marketing? You know, historically, there was uh, 90% who would be anything other than supply chain. <laughs> it has really uh, shifted. So uh, now it's around 40% who says, I, I get it. You know, I have seen uh, ever given, you know, on, uh, coming across in the Suez. I, I have heard about uh, chip uh, shortages. Uh, I, I know now about inflation, trade barriers. This is really exciting. So um, I think it's great. It, it's a great way to also attract different talent that helps us build diversity and, and again, become from, from strong to stronger. Yeah. Well, you, you know what? I think, I think you're absolutely right because uh, procurement, supply chain, all these topics were really interesting for those of us that were in it. And I think every, people that were inside the profession knew that it was exciting. It's ex there's so much innovation happening and so much 
uh, impact that uh, these positions have on the world, right? And I think the fact that other people are now realizing that can only be a very good thing for us, right? So, so um, okay, so it's under a microscope though, procurement as a function, don't you think? It's a bit under a microscope. People are wondering where their stuff is and, and, and how and, and why when we have a lot of crisis. So I know we've talked about the positive science, but it's been a difficult couple of years. Is there any big learning that you've had? I, I think uh, maybe the learning is that that you know we can do more than we gave ourselves credit for, um, and I think we are in a fantastic position to to orchestrate uh, solutions that uh, wasn't really relevant in in the past. And I think in a way the whole COVID uh, scenario has has highlighted that uh, yes, supply continuity uh, and uh, being capable of getting access to scarce resources uh, during difficult times is a function of supply management, of treating your supply chain responsibly and, and with respect. Um, but I think also a couple of other cool things happened, like uh, you know, partnering across industries. Um, when, when the PPE uh, challenge came along, you know, most of us figured out that, you know, first of all, what is PPE? And nobody had been paying attention to to such a category historically, right? All of a sudden, it becomes a global shortage, um, and and that was of course not just in in private enterprise; it was also in public. So at least in in Germany, you know, the German government started to orchestrate teams where industry were pulled in. You know, we could actually collaborate with regulators in making sure that this scarce resource was made available to frontline staff, uh, hospitals, etc. And and I think it opened the possibilities around private-public partnerships, collaboration in across industries, which we need, quite frankly, to to also navigate a age of scarcity, because that's what's happening. Right? We're moving from the the world of abundance, where pretty much it's been our life for the last many years. Everything was possible. You just issue a purchase order, and it comes to now the world of scarcity, um, where it takes much, much more conscious efforts and, and craftsmanship in actually getting getting things to flow. So, You know, I think you're absolutely right. I think that we're moving to uh, the age of scarcity, and that's going to require a mindset shift, both from a consumer perspective, as well as from a procurement and supply chain perspective. Um, so couple that with some ambitious goals that you guys in your organization have set for uh, sustainability uh, and ESG. I mean, I think, could you, could you tell us a little bit more about what, how you're rethinking how you source your products for sustainability and what that means for your own procurement organization as a whole? Yeah, and, and, and I think the good thing for us is that it's, it's not a new topic. Um, and, mm -hmm. and it's something that we have been actually working on for the last couple of decades. Uh, and, and a few maybe fun facts. We were one of the first companies to sign the UN Global Compact. Um, we were one of the first companies to also have a structured program around uh, child uh, work, labor in, in India, because we are in the agro industry. We uh, one of we founded two industry initiatives where instead of you know going addressing sustainability as an individual company, we decided to do it together with with industry peers. So two initiatives together for sustainability, which is the chemical part. We have the pharmaceutical supply chain initiative, which is more for the pharmaceutical. You know, they were launched ten years ago. Uh, so, so again, it's it's really not a, a new topic. Uh, what, uh, of course, has happened: different topics have uh, been subject to different 
um, intensity, we have gotten more and more clever as time progressed. Conflict minerals, modern slavery, um, the the carbon uh, reduction, uh, of course, is is a big one now. And and we signed the uh, science-based target initiative a couple of years back. So so we are now on the CO2 reduction path on scope one, two, and three. Um, which of course populates uh, quite a lot of our activities and, and needs to be re, let's say included into our category strategies so that we we also are able to deliver on on those uh, aspirations and maybe what what we also i think we're also one of the the first sort of large uh, corporations we have made all the uh, compensation the bonus schemes dependent on our sustainability performance so it's okay. of course, yes we have to do our financial we have promised that to to our shareholders, but equally so, we have promised society at large that we we have certain ESG topics that we want to drive, and if we fail to do that, you know, you don't get a bonus. So I think that um, is is let's say you know walking the talk uh, or putting your mouth where your your money is, and and that's great. Um, it it has helped us. I also dare to say um, in in Corona. So um, well, I was just going to ask you that. I mean, yeah, I, no, I think. Not. I think, you know, there was a bit of a, a question mark at sort of maybe at the beginning of the pandemic, whether or not this was going to stall uh, sustainability and ESG initiatives because the focus was on crisis. And so the attention diverted to solving the crisis. A lot of visionary companies saw this as an opportunity to actually uh, really re rethink their business processes and, and, and actually build a business that was sustainable uh, a business model, really, that would be sustainable to take them into this new age of disruption. Yeah, I mean, in, in the beginning of uh, the whole pandemic, it it was really very clear that there was a divide happening among CPOs. There was absolutely a group of people who said, "Now, great, it's back to the good old days. We're going to save money and we're going to be squeezing suppliers." And there was another group, and you know, thankfully. I'm part of that group who said that's not how it's gonna it's gonna work. You know, you you will need to collaborate in in different ways. Um, particularly if we get into scarcity and suppliers will have to choose who am I gonna give my scarce my product to. It's not gonna be the cheap the, the guy that pays me the well, least. I mean, the one that keeps hammering you with with a baseball bat or the one who actually treats you with respect who also tries to look at uh, how can you grow your business and and reach the uh, things that you want to reach, and and there was a there was a divide, um, and then of course, as you say, there were more uh, visionary who then really integrated it into um, how do we do business? Um, because as you say, I think it is a almost license to operate um, mm -hmm. as as we move forward. The um, coexistence of um, financial objectives with broader sustainability objectives both on you know, environmental and social, it has to go hand in hand. And, and if you you do not get that balance right, you're not going to be around in, in a couple of decades. People don't want to work. Or even sooner. Or even or sooner. sooner. Hopefully, hopefully sooner, right? Nobody wants to work for a company like that. It's very uncool. Well, consumers are voting with their wallets. Employees are, you know, not especially in younger generations, they're looking to work for companies that have a, a true purpose. Um, you know, I think one of the things that you said there resonated a lot with me was the idea of this sort of two camps. 
Um, you know, there are people that want to go back to 2019 or beyond, you know, which is where supply chain was solely driven by financial metrics, right? So supply chain was solely seen as a cost center. And then those people that are in a different camp that see this as an opportunity to sort of reinvent supply chain or maybe, um, I don't know, just have an opportunity to do things differently, right? So do you think that there are more people in your camp or do you, you know, because it, it blows my mind to think that there would be anyone still in the other camp. Do you know what I mean? Clearly, it seems like the benefits to outweigh the, the possibilities, you know, the, the risk of staying in that camp. Yeah, I think there are differences and, and partly maybe also geographical. Um, I just saw a, a study also yesterday that, that showed that if you were to force rank uh, priorities between, you know, cost, quality, risk, and then, you know, at some point, sustainability, um, that showed that uh, still the mindset, the uh, sort of predominant mindset is that we still go back to costs and uh, sustainability was on the, on the back burner. Mm -hmm. I, I do think that is not what we see, at least in, in Europe. Um, and I, I dare to say that that is also now spreading out at the, the visionaries who, uh, who want to you know, be here and, and tell the story also to their grandchildren um, are, are growing in, uh, in numbers. Um, certainly in Europe, there's not a single roundtable amongst uh, CPOs where the primary challenge that needs to be addressed today and not tomorrow is sustainability, resilience. And again, these two things, they are totally intercorrelated. I think that there are, I agree with you. I think that there's the two types of people, you know, two types of camp. What I don't understand is that the risk mitigation, really, if you think about it, there's a huge risk with staying in the camp where you're not, you're just talking the talk and not walking the walk, right? Uh, they'll get find out, found out. I mean, there's this whole greenwashing and, you know, all this cheap talk. How, how many companies do you think are truly, truly looking to get that kind of transparency? There's a lot of work involved yeah, in that, no. don't you think? Yeah, it's work and it's also accepting, uh, you know, vulnerability and that the world that you live in is not as controllable and as perfect as you like to uh, pretend that you, you have it all figured out, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that takes a bit of yeah, change management, humility, uh, courage maybe also to, to speak the, uh, the truth. Um, and uh, from many uh, people in organizations, they uh, haven't been conditioned to also make those calls throughout their, their career. Because in a way, what you have to accept is what got you to your wonderful position of power today is not going to get you to, to where you are tomorrow. So I think in terms of general human change management, you know, people are, I know, in a way, completely paralyzed by, by this. And, and it's easier to just keep doing whatever. The same old stuff. Doing. I mean, yeah. it's the, the shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic, you know, that's, that's what we have, uh, unfortunately, plenty of examples of in, in human history. Um, and, and, you know, that, that is one of the, the major challenges we have. We need to, you know, open our eyes and, and accept that it's not as, as great or as, uh, as black and white or as polarized as we, you know, tend to also see in society around us. You know, the truth is somewhere in the middle. And it requires curiosity and vulnerability and dialogue to actually figure out how how do we how do we get to the the right path and and it's it's heavy lifting it's hard work and well, sometimes you know, it's not so comfortable because people are going to tell you things that maybe you don't like to hear. 
But you know what? I was I I was I was smiling all the way while you're saying this because I'm thinking about a post that I made on LinkedIn a while ago about how I am a Generation X person, right? And so the Generation X is generally seen as sort of like the middle child, right? The middle child syndrome. We don't have the we're not the cool kids, you know, the millennials and Gen Z who can do pretty much anything, especially digital digitally these days, right? We're not the sort of the the the, the uh, baby boomer uh, group that essentially built a lot of these businesses. But at the same time, I think our generation, this Gen X, and I'm assuming you're sort of in the same generation as I'm me. I'm there. I'm there with you. Exactly. So us Gen Xers, we're going to need to have the humility to deprogram a lot of learning, to decon- to sort of, re- you know, you know what I mean? Like, think of like exactly what you just said. Our, we got up to this point in our careers by doing a certain number of things, a certain, t- you know, certain ways of doing things that came from lots of other generations. I think it's going to be this generation. Obviously, the ones below us are probably driving change, but they don't have the buying power we have. They don't have the decision-making power that we have yet, right? It's up to us in our generation to sort of, I don't know, deprogram ourselves, unlearn a few things, have the humility to say, okay, let's try this a different way. Let's not resort back to the same old financial-driven metrics. Don't get me wrong. We know we're not we don't work for charities or the government, right? You know, we need to prove profits and what have you. Oh. So it was interesting. I got, you know, I got a lot of comments on that post because I think it ident- a lot of people realized, you know what, we are this generation that it's either, you know, we're the last ones of the old guys, I guess, to try to fix things. No, I, I, I totally agree. I also read once, you know, the illiteracy in, in the current age is, is not that you can't read. It's the inability of... Uh, not being able to unlearn to relearn, right? That our habit is so pre-coded that that you simply mm-hmm. can't uh, can't change. So I, I totally uh, agree with you that, that that's it. And as you say, we are the ones who actually hold the power right now. X holds the power. That's it. We have we make all the decisions. We yeah. we sit on all the boards. We we you know we have the spending the power and all that. We have the spending power and. And I think that's a, uh, you know, the, the uh, uncle of Spider-Man, he, he also said, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Great responsibility. And I think yes. that, that's what it is. You know, we, we should listen to uh, the Marvel characters and, and uh, Spider-Man's uncle seemed to have gotten it. We, we are responsible. And somebody will tell at one point the story about Generation X and did we, you know, do the right thing? That's an answer that uh, is a question that we all have to answer. I'm glad you quoted Marvel for a minute there. I thought you were going to start quoting 90s hip hop rap or something like that. You know, I mean, really, truly show your age or something, you know. Um, But no, I I get you 100%. I think the responsibility sits with us. So, okay, on a practical basis, um, we talk about sustainability, ESG, all these fantastic things, supply chain transparency, visibility um, that is needed to to weather this age of scarcity and age of disruption. Um, Here's a provocative thought, because a lot of people think that a lot of the res- the best results are going to come through technology, AI, machine learning, big data, big tech, all the great big stuff, right? Um, how much of that is r- unlearning business processes? How much of that is deconstructing mindset and, um, I guess, change management issues? I, I it, It's a fantastic question, and I, I don't know the exact answer, to be honest. Um, but I, I do think that there is a opportunity again ahead of us. I mean, we've all been raised in an analog world. We've always seen things to be following in sequential steps, and I guess our supply chains, the, 
the whole plan linear. deliver. I mean, it's all linear, right? That's how we have, in a way, come to appreciate the reality. And I think with with digitalization, you know, that uh, analog linearity doesn't have to be the case. You know, there are now algorithms that will be able to find even better answers by disrupting that uh, linear flow. Um, and that's, of course, difficult for, for a lot of us, you know, the exes who, who have uh, been educated from childhood that, you know, A comes into B and to C. And, and, and that, I think, is, is knowledge. Then it's, it's, of course, behavior. To which extent do we accept that? That actually what we have read to be the truth for all our life is not anymore the only truth. And I think that uh, agility, being prepared to open your mind and, and just at least show some curiosity that there may be another way. Or if there's some clever person that would be, you know, typically younger than yourself, who says, I have actually a solution that is, you know, based on a digital technology or a methodology, that you actually give them a chance to explain why this might be a good idea. Um, so I think that openness is, is upon us. And, and certainly if you have a leadership position, that you are you are letting that voice of change also you know, flourish in your in your organization. Yeah, I, I hear you. I think I think there's we have to listen to um, to people that have different opinions. Hence the whole diversity issue, bringing different people to the table with different backgrounds. I had a meeting yesterday with someone who is totally different in background to me. You know, a different education, very creative, and uh, was doing sort of something similar to what I'm doing, but they were doing it better. Frankly, they were doing it better, cheaper, and totally differently. And I thought, I just hit my head, seriously, hand in my head. And I thought, oh my gosh, we've, I've, and I, and I wrote down in my notebook, I promise you, I wrote down in my notebook, I need to challenge the norms of what I think to be real, reality. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And, and that's a good lesson. I think you probably need to have it on everybody's wall, right? That uh, yeah. it's the first thing you, you see in the morning that, uh, you know, this because this happens on all dimensions of life. You know, it's our workspace, yes, but yeah, 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 but yeah. also around how do you interact, your friendships, and I think many people, you know, in a corona time where you know our social interaction is up for redesign anyhow. We, Everything we is up for redesign. I mean, <laughs> here we are, you're at home, I'm at home. Mm -hmm. I mean, I never would have guessed that years ago. Never ever in my life would have said that I was able to work from home. No, neither would I. But but in a way, thank God we were wrong, right? Yeah. It's our generation. Okay. So this is, this is it. This is the pledge we're making here. It's the Gen Xers time. We have to fix this before it gets worse. We have to deconstruct. We have to challenge the norms, challenge what we know to be true. It's almost like there might be a different to quote another, another metaverse or something like that, you know, some sort of another, another universe. Uh, and uh, we got to challenge these things. So that's, that's, I think the biggest lesson for me. And I think that's, that's what digitalization technology in a way is, right? We, we don't see it. Up until this point, you know, we, we've, if you don't see it, it doesn't exist. You know, yeah. the telephone itself or the radio was complicated enough, but keep it at that. And now the whole thing is, you know, nobody sees what is actually going on. Most people don't understand, myself included, but it's there. It's, it's reality, even though I can't see it. And even if I don't really understand it, it's reality. And, and that means, of course, we have to accept that maybe we are not the know-alls of, uh, of all the topics. That some people well, feel more comfortable, you know, pretending. I that, think. Yeah. I think going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, you know, never waste a good opportunity. Never waste a good crisis. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If a crisis creates a great opportunity for us to evolve, 
and I think that we're in exactly those moments that we need to evolve into uh, a more adaptable set of group of people in, in this profession. So, no, Thomas, I want to thank you for being here, for sharing your thoughts and your Marvel quotes. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll see you again at, uh, sometime soon. Absolutely. So so thanks for, for inviting me. I hope I didn't uh, violate any uh, IP sort of uh, around my Superman, uh, Spider-Man. But, uh, but thanks for thanks for inviting <laughs> sharing a few uh, perspectives. No, I appreciate it. And for those of you listening at home, we'll catch you at the next one. Thank you. Thank you.